Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Hey, if you have a Bible, we are in Mark chapter 2. You guys ready for this? I don't know if I am, just to be honest with you. I didn't sleep well last night. I didn't sleep well last night. But this passage is, it is a passage that I think if we sit in long enough and we allow it to really settle on our souls, it will change the way that we see the people around us. It's really important. When you see a group of people, how do you look at people? What do you see? When you see somebody, when there are strangers walking by, or maybe there's a, a crowd of people, and it could even be just on the news, and there's a community of people that are protesting. What, what do you see? You know, it's hard for us when there's a community of people to see individuals with individual stories and individual lives. When we see a group of people, we tend to categorize them. We tend to see them with certain labels and we see them in, in different ways that doesn't capture who they are. It captures the way that we, we simply see them. And the way we see people is a part of our discipleship to Christ. And if we don't learn to see people the way Jesus sees people, then there's a problem in the way we're following Jesus. And often what we're doing is we're allowing, I think, the labels of the world to influence the way we see people who are created in the image of God. And what Jesus does is he breaks those categories. Jesus breaks the religious categories that we tend to use. And by religious, what I mean is those categories of, uh, that we try to use to earn a place in life. Like uh, we, we try to impress God maybe, or maybe we think our obedience is something that oppresses God. But we find through Jesus, it's only through grace and grace alone that God accepts us and welcomes us. So if you want to grab your Bible, we're in uh, Mark chapter 2, and we're going to pick it up in verse, in verse 13. Mark chapter 2, verse 13, the word of the Lord. And he, meaning Jesus, went out again beside the sea, and the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting and some people came to him and said, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can, can the, the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth in an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, 
the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Hey, would you pray for me? And I'll pray for you. Father, we gather today, Lord, because we're in your presence. And where your presence is, there is is freedom. And yet, Father, the freedom of following Christ requires that we examine ourselves. That we we, we don't want to walk in a way that mirrors the ways of the world. We want to follow the life and the joy and the passion that is found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. So, Father, where we are blind, open our eyes to see. Where we need to change, give us grace and mercy to change so that we might love you well. And because of that, we'd know how to love this community well. Help us, Father, we'd ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this passage, Jesus is shattering some of our own religious categories. The ways that we see ourselves and and the ways that we see the world. And he actually does this through three different stories. See, in chapter 2, there are three stories that are put together. Last week, we looked at the first one. And the first one was about a paralytic. These four friends, they have a friend who is paralyzed and they bring him to Jesus. But when they get to the house that Jesus is at, the house is crowded. There's no room inside the house. There's no room outside the house. So what do they do? They go up on the roof and they begin to dig a hole and they lower their friend down to Jesus. And when Jesus sees this paralytic, he says what no one expects to hear. And in some ways, it seems a little insensitive. He looks at this paralyzed man and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. You know, Jesus is addressing a deeper issue. Not that healing doesn't matter, but there is a deeper healing that needs to take place. And it's the healing of forgiveness. And last week, we looked at that idea that Jesus has come to reconcile us back to God. Now, when he says your sins are forgiven, the religious leaders, they go nuts. And they said in verse seven, he's blaspheming, who can forgive sin but God alone? And that's a great question. Who can? Who can forgive sin? Because see, sin is missing the mark. It's missing the purpose for which we were created. We were created to glorify and to reflect God. And instead of glorifying, reflecting God, we reflect the things in creation, the things we set our hearts on. We miss the mark. And see, Jesus has come to reconcile us. But recognize, you know, in Jesus' day, forgiveness wasn't a private thing. I know today we kind of make forgiveness a private thing, right? It's a little confession between me and God. But you know, back in the Old Testament times and in Jesus' day, forgiveness was a public matter. If you sought forgiveness, you had to go to the temple. You had to make a sacrifice before the priest and before the presence of God. Forgiveness was a very public thing. And so what what is Jesus doing? He's saying something remarkable. He's saying, I am the place where heaven and earth collide. I am the very fullness and presence of God. Now, how do we know that? Because he announces forgiveness. Now, if you'll put this map up on the screen, I want to show you where Jesus is. 
He's up at the north near Galilee, uh, near the Sea of Galilee in a city called Capernaum. And in that city, he declares this man forgiven. Now, if you look way to the south, there's a city called Jerusalem. And in that city is the temple. And see, the temple was the place where the priests were and the sacrifices, where the presence of God is. It's the place where forgiveness, in a sense, dwelt. Now, apart from the sacrifices, apart from the priests, Jesus is embodying the very presence of God that's represented in the temple. And he's saying, I am the place where heaven and earth collide. I have the authority to forgive. See, God is doing something new. God is doing something new through Jesus that only through Jesus and Jesus alone can we be reconciled to God. That's the first story. We see the reality that Jesus has the authority to forgive. Now, in the second story, we see the heart of Jesus to forgive. The depths of his compassion and really the way that Jesus sees the world so different from both the religious leaders and even his own disciples. Because if we go back to chapter one, there was already an incident in which his disciples felt revolted by what Jesus did. It was the story of the man that had leprosy. And what does Jesus do? This man comes up to him and Jesus touches him. Now, to the disciples, to everyone else, that's, that's unbelievable. You never touch somebody like that. This is a man who's unclean. But not only that, they viewed him as an outcast, somebody that God had rejected. But see, Jesus saw him differently. He saw him as someone who was in need of mercy. And in that, he revealed the true heart of God, the same heart of God that should have been captured in the Old Testament, but was missed. Now, we're going to see that in the story of Levi that the religious leaders had misunderstood the purpose of the temple, the sacrifice, and the priest. What was it there for? Why God established sacrifices that we could come into his presence? It's because our God is a God who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and mercy. Our God is a God who is holy in that he is compassionate. He is merciful. And what the Old Testament should have taught the religious leaders and what the temple should have shown is our God is a God of mercy. Our God is a God of forgiveness. Now we see that in this story, the story of Levi. If you jump in back in verse 13, here's how that story goes. Watch this in verse 13. And he went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose, and he followed him. Now, this Levi, we also know as, as Matthew. And Matthew is a tax collector. So that means that Matthew is not working for the people that he lives near. He's working for the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire is oppressing the Israelites. And here's Matthew, who's also being oppressed, and yet instead of fighting back, what he does is he simply joins his oppressors. This is the worst kind of individual. See, what tax collectors did was they, the Romans, what they would do is when they would occupy a nation or a country, the way that they suppressed people was not just through military power, but by financial ruin. They would tax people to the ground. And what they would do is instead of just having their own people, Romans, tax the Israelites, they would take people from your own community. 
people that you recognize, people, neighbors that you knew, and they would become those that would inflict those taxes upon the oppressed. And like an ATM, they would charge you for the pleasure of paying taxes. That's Matthew. Matthew is the lowest of individual. He's, I don't know what person fits that category for you, but I don't know if you realize just how low that Matthew had gone. And certainly in the eyes of the disciples, there was, there was nothing worse. And what's shocking in this story is that Jesus' grace doesn't just go out to the oppressed. What's more shocking to me is that God would have the mercy and grace to go after the oppressor. We condemn the oppressor. Jesus shows the same grace to those who oppress to those who oppress others. And that seems, that seems shocking because both are in need of the grace of God. Jesus sees something different in Matthew. And I think that's what's so remarkable. Here's a man in need of forgiveness. And so watch what happens in verse 14. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth, and he said, follow me. And he gets up, and he follows him. And as he was reclining, watch this, verse 15. As he reclined at the table in his house, meaning Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples because there were many who followed him. As shocking as it is that Jesus would invite Matthew to follow him, he gathers in his house. And do you notice Jesus' position? He's reclining. Jesus is comfortable with people who are nothing like him. Are we comfortable with people who are nothing like us? And if not, could it be that we have lost the experience of the grace of God? How different are we from God? Much more different than we are between the people around us who are different than us. When the grace of God captures your heart and you recognize that God has rescued you through mercy, we see the world differently. Jesus sees Matthew differently and he gathers at Matthew's house and he's reclining at his table, which is a picture in the first century of friendship. It's a willingness to accept Matthew, not to accept what he's done, but to accept that he is created in the image of God and he is in need of grace. Jesus is completely comfortable being with people who are nothing like Jesus. And here's the other part. People who are nothing like Jesus seem to be comfortable being with Jesus. Watch what happens in, in verse 16. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with tax collectors and sinners, said to his disciples, hey, why is he doing that? It's a fair question. Why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? Now, notice in the story previously to the, with the paralytic, they go and question Jesus. Now, in this case, they question the disciples. Because I imagine the disciples are in the same place as the religious leaders. Yeah, why are we here? Jesus, this guy has no part in you. We shouldn't be in this house. We shouldn't be with these people. It's in some ways a legitimate question. Because Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit. 
and the seed of mockers. Aren't we supposed to be separate from the world? Because that's what the word holy means, doesn't it? Holy means to be separate, to be set apart for God. So if I'm supposed to be set apart from God, how can I also be with people who are not like God? Well, what Jesus is doing is he's shattering our categories. Shattering the categories that we set up as human beings to separate us from others. Watch what happens in verse 17 as Jesus answers the religious leaders. And when he heard this, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners. See, Jesus sees himself as a doctor, but not as one who's gonna stay back in the building within the hospital confines, instead one that is willing to go out into the world. Because in Jesus' day, the temple would be in some ways like a modern hospital. There was protocol. You couldn't just go into God's presence. In fact, the priests had to prepare themselves to lead worship. And so to enter into God's presence, to enter into worship, you had to make sacrifices. You had to be ritually clean. You went through a process to get closer to God. And in the same ways, our hospitals work in similar ways. You can't just walk into a doctor's office. You can't just request that surgery be done. There's protocols. There's paperwork. There's HMOs. There's insurance. Jesus sees himself not as a physician who stays back, but what's new about Jesus and in the New Testament is God is no longer located in a space. He's located in his, in his people. Jesus is taking the presence of God into the world. He's, he's coming to those that the rest of the world has rejected. And he's not saying that the temple is bad or the sacrifices is bad, are bad. Jesus is saying that with his coming, there's a new way of being made well. He is a doctor. He is the one that has come to cleanse us and forgive us, to make us right with God. And he chases after those who feel far from God. I love how Matthew's gospel parallels Mark's gospel. And at the end of this story, this is how Jesus finishes this narrative. Listen to what Matthew says, Matthew 9, verse 13. And Jesus says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came to call not the righteous, but sinners. Within the context of eating at Levi's house, Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, those who think they're right with God have called, come to call those who feel far from God. Why? Because God, what he desires is mercy, not sacrifice. Now understand, Jesus isn't saying sacrifices are bad or the temple is bad or the priesthood is bad. It doesn't make any sense. But what was the purpose of the temple? Why were there sacrifices? The purpose of it was to reveal the mercy of God. And what had happened is the sacrifices became the point. The temple became the point. And we missed the grace and the mercy of God. And these Pharisees, these religious leaders, who loved the temple, loved the sacrifice, loved the worship, they missed the heart of God. And see, if God wants anything more than a sacrifice, he wants us to love him and to understand who he is and to have a heart that sees others the ways in the same way that he's seen us. 
I think in this party at Matthew's house, we truly see the heart of God. And that should shock us. Would we sit and invite people to our house that are as different from Jesus as Matthew is? I don't think so. Can we get honest this morning? We don't do that. Do we? Do we invite people to eat with us who are as different to us as Matthew is to Jesus? You know, the New Testament calls us to hospitality. You see that in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Part of hospitality is an aspect of discipleship. It's an aspect of obedience to God, of bringing people around us that are different than us simply for the opportunity to love them. And in that love, to show them what the heart of God is like. Does the world see the church that way? I mean, what else does this story show us? If Jesus lived this way and he called us to follow him, then this is the path of discipleship. And in following Jesus is to love others, to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, to do what Jesus did. Are we willing to try it? Or will we allow the categories of the world to define how we treat the people around us? Will we allow the categories that we listen on television or on the news or through each other, will we allow those categories to guide the way we love others or will we see the world, will we risk to see the world the way that Jesus sees the world? Jesus sees the world so radically different from us that it requires faith. It requires trust. It requires dying to ourselves. Do you remember that? Dying to my categories, dying to the way I want to see the world, and coming alive to the way that God sees things. It requires a heart of mercy. It's sad that sometimes our pursuit of holiness actually causes us to miss the heart of God. Why do I know that? Because that's the Pharisees. Holy in their morality, but in their heart, there was something missing. They missed the heart of God. See, this story, it shows us Jesus' willingness to forgive. If the first story of the paralytic shows us God's, Jesus' authority to forgive, this shows us his willingness. But the last story that we look at in verse, verse 18 and following shows us how we should respond. Watch what happens. Verse 18, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting and people came to him and said, okay, why do John's disciples fast and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But Jesus, you're not fasting. You're not doing it right. Why are, why are John's disciples fasting? Now let's think a little bit about John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples. See, John represented the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, which is still a beautiful covenant of God's grace and mercy and sacrifice. But see, John had a message which was a message of repentance. It was a message of purifying your heart, recognizing where you are so that you might prepare your heart to meet God. The Pharisees were in that same kind of place. But where are Jesus' disciples? Well, what he does is he uses this metaphor of a wedding 
to describe what it's like for the disciples to be with Jesus. And here's how he responds in verse 19. He said, he said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom, and the bridegroom means Jesus, now that I'm here, guys, now that the wedding is here, now the day of the wedding has happened, we're going to fast on the day of the wedding? The day will come when the bridegroom's taken away. It's a picture of the cross. And then they will fast. He's saying, do you know what day it is? This is the day to celebrate. This is the day of joy. Why would we fast on the day in which we prepared, because a wedding in first century time was, took an entire week. And when the, finally the celebration day came, the food was laid out, why would you fast when the fulfillment of everything we prepared for is here? That's, that's Jesus. He is the fulfillment of all that God has spoken. And then he goes on to explain what this looks like. He says in verse 21, he says, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away, the new from the old, and the worse, and, and, and the tear is made. Uh, worse is the tear, whatever it says there, you read it. I told you I need help today. <laughs> and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins, but new wine is for new wineskins. Jesus is describing his, his ministry. And he's saying the old categories, they, they no longer work. If you take new wine and put it into old wineskins, those wineskins don't have the ability to expand. Now, if you've bought something that's new, a leather product that's new, you know it's, it tends to be much more uh, flexible but the older it gets, the more brittle it becomes. And when you put new wine into old wineskins, the wineskins burst. And Jesus is saying our old categories often can't contain the power and the presence of God through the gospel. That the categories of this world, the categories through which we see people cannot contain the power, the presence of God through the gospel. God sees us differently and absolutely there is God's judgment towards sin. Let's see, the purpose of Jesus was to receive the very judgment on himself so that we might show mercy. That God desires mercy, not sacrifice. And the question is, how do we see the world? I know for me, I struggle. Can I be honest with you? I get angry. There's times where I get frustrated. There's times where I have the need or I feel the need to label. And the question is not, do we struggle with that? The question is, what do we do with it? Do we take it to God? Do we bring it to him and ask God to change the way we see others, to change the way we see the world? When we find ourselves angry, when we find ourselves at that place of hatred, do we stop and ask the question, where does this come from? Is it from me? God, is it from the world? Or is it from you? And if, if Jesus is a place of freedom, I need to be willing to take the way I see the world and I see others and surrender that to Christ and say, listen, I need help. 
I need mercy and then I need a community around me that knows when I say those types of things, it's okay to rebuke and correct me so that I might see the world the way that God sees the world. Are we just following in the trap of the way everybody else sees the world or is there something different about us because we have the very place where heaven and earth meets now dwells within us. And it dwells within us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Are we willing to surrender the way we see the world to Jesus? And we looked at last week that when we slander our brother, it says in James, we actually slander God. We speak against the law and judge it. Why? Because every human being, no matter what they've done, even Levi, as despicable and horrible as he is, is still created in the mercy of God of God in his image, which means he has dignity and worth despite what he does to himself. And Jesus Christ came to redeem us, to show us our value and to show us that there is an opportunity for redemption through what Christ has done. Now to experience that, we have to receive it. We've got to be willing to admit where we are We've got to be willing even to admit that we don't want to, at times, to surrender ourselves to God. We want to do things the way that we see fit. But God in his grace and his mercy through the power of the Spirit leads us to a place of repentance and faith. Hey, this morning we're going to conclude uh, this service by celebrating communion together. If you didn't grab the elements on the way, I want to encourage you to do that, those elements, they represent Christ's broken body and shed blood for us. And as we hold those elements together, we wanna to spend just a few moments in reflection, um, sharing back to God those things that maybe he's, he's put on our hearts this morning. It could have nothing to do with the message this morning, but just to spend time in his presence. And then after a period of silence and prayer, uh, we're gonna share those elements together. So let's seek God together.